The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, this episode, we are going to discuss the Radford and UConn game, bowl season, college football playoffs, and the Heisman finalist. So let's get right into it. The Mountaineers defeated Radford by the score of 67-51. to The game was never really in question, but lots of topics to discuss. Uh, so what were your initial thoughts about the game? Yeah, I, I thought um, you know it was a nice, easy win. Um, we didn't have to worry too much, um, but, you know, kind of looking at it and, and watching the game, the offense was pretty much Taz Sherman. And then the second option was Taz Sherman. So um, we really didn't learn much about our secondary scoring options, which, uh, you know, kind of concerns me. It's against a team like Radford who played hard, but clearly didn't have the players out there that could really, you know, hamper some of the players that they did. So um, yeah, that was really the only concerning thing, but it was great to, not stress out over a win for the first time in a while. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, it, it was nice that we we kind of put a team away because we'll dive into it a little later. But uh, some guys who normally don't get to see court time got to see a pretty significant amount. And um, but yeah, you bring up a good issue about Tash Sherman being really our only offensive scorer, which that's really concerned me all year. And um, I was hoping they would figure it out. A little more than they have by now but uh it's still not the end of the world we still got a month before conference play but uh let's talk about taz a little bit taz sherman he is just in a force on the offensive side of the court he finished the game with 27 points four steals four rebounds three assists so he's just contributing everywhere and i, I can't wait to see if he can keep this production going Against tougher competition, we're going to find that out real soon. And, uh, of course, there, you know, there, there's going to be a slight drop-off, but he's just such a special basketball player. Mountaineer fans are very lucky he returned this season because West Virginia's record would look very different without him on this team. Oh, for sure. And he's, you know, I've said it before, and I stick by it, that, you know, I think he's probably the best offensive player um, if you just look at that isolated against – their all-around game since Deshaun Butler. You know, I think his array of moves and his ways that he can get to the basket, get to his spot, are just better than anyone. I mean, I know Deuce was great last year, and Javon Carter had his moments whenever he was, you know, the top dog. But, you know, you can kind of see that that Taz's comfort zone is just having the ball in his hands and figuring out, you know, how to get past the defense, how to get to the right spot, and, you know, put the ball in the hoop. I mean, he has, um, I'm counting now, one, two, three, four, a 20 point game so far this season. Um, and then only one game has he scored less than 17 points. Um, and that was against Clemson. Um, so, you know, he, he just knows how to put the ball in the basket and I wouldn't be surprised to see him average over 20 per points per game uh, for the season. I mean, even coming into big 12 play that anonymous um, big 12 player survey that we talked about a few episodes ago, the players voted him as the hardest guy to guard. And we're seeing why now, which when his name came up, it kind of shocked me because last year he only averaged, what, like 10 points a game. He was splitting time with Sean McNeil. And, you know, the guys who matched up with him 
knew that he was tough to guard and we're seeing it in full force now. And it's, it's fun. It, it really is. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, we had Deuce and Javon who we could rely on them with the ball in their hands, but we've never really seen a guy just be able to consistently put up 20 plus points every game. And although it's great, I, I actually hope to see his points per game go down because if it does, that means other guys are contributing. I don't want him to have to score nearly 30 points every game for us to win because that's that's not going to be a recipe for success in the Big 12. Yeah, and, and you know, going off onto other guys, I mean, this was a, pri- a prime time to, for other guys to step up and show what they could be as a second role a role player on this team. And really no one else did. I think uh, it was um, Curry who led the team in second sh- uh, this, the second amount of shots where he had nine. Um, after him was Seth Wilson with, with eight. Um, and, you know, Seth Wilson doesn't really play much. Um, but, you know, the kind of biggest frustration from me was Jalen Bridges. I mean, this was a game that I thought, hey, you know, McNeil's out. He's now the number two guy. Let's see him go out there and have a great game. And he had two shots, four points. Um, He did put up stats everywhere else, which he's always good for. He hustles. He gets rebounds, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, you know, only one turnover. Um, But we've talked about this before with his size and athleticism and just pure skill. Um, He should be able to go off and occasionally, you know, put up 20, at least 15 points um, in games like this. And to see him only shoot the ball twice, put up four points, it just... Super, super frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've been saying it all, all year because I love him. I, I mean, I think he has so much talent, and I think he could just absolutely take over a game, but we just haven't seen him really do it yet. And I'm actually shocked Hugs doesn't really get on him more because – and maybe he does and we're just not seeing it. You know, we're not behind closed doors, but it seems like that would definitely be right up Hugs Alley to – you know, see how much potential he has and really just challenge him. But we haven't quite seen it yet. Um, yeah, I think the yeah. thing that kills me most about it is, you know, when you see him, you know, one-on-one isolated against, you know, whether it's someone who's less athletic than him or someone smaller than him, he just doesn't even think about it. It's immediately, I, I don't got an open shot. I'm passing. Um, I just don't understand that mindset. Um, I mean, obviously me, I'm not an athlete, so I would pass the ball, but, if I was you know, six foot six, six foot seven and, you know, could dunk the ball, then I, I would probably at least give it a try until it failed. And I, I think, you know, there's no reason for him to be scared either, because even if he does have a bad game and he puts up 10 or 12 shots and only makes two or three, I would rather see him try and fail than to not try at all. Sure. I mean, we've even seen that from Taz this year. I forget which opponent it was. Might have been Oakland real early on, but he put up a ton of shots and didn't make very much. Uh, But, I mean, you see what happens when you have that confidence. You're going to have games like that. Or you'll have, like, every other game he's played this year where he's put on 20-plus points. Like, whether you're having a cold night or a hot night, you just have to have that confidence to keep shooting and, and keep driving to the hoop and want to have the ball in your hand. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, another positive from that game, though, another guy who really impressed me was was Polly Polycap. I mean, this looked like one of his best games of the season, and maybe it was his breaking out party. Maybe last game, the game before it was, 
um, I don't know. I mean, he's just been playing really well these past few games. I don't want to get too excited because I know he's clearly bigger and stronger than some of these bigs on these weaker opponents, but he, he's looked impressive on the offensive and defensive side of the court. Against Radford, he scored seven points, shooting 100% from the floor and from the free throw line. In fact, he hasn't missed a field goal in three straight games. Granted, that's he's only seven for seven, but still, you know, if he's only if he's going to be limited with his shots, I love it that he is putting it in the hoop when he does decide to shoot. And a lot of these are putbacks, but he's still contributing everywhere. He had five rebounds. He didn't play a ton of minutes because, like we said, some younger guys got playing time this game, and he had a big highlight reel block. It, it was very Kanate esque. I hope we see more of that this year. But what did you think about his performance? I thought he played well. I mean, it was nice to see someone who was comfortable at least taking a shot inside the um, inside the paint um, who wasn't Taz Sherman because it seemed like he's the only guy who kind of consistently gets there and posts up and puts some moves on. Um, everyone else, it just kind of seems like they get a little bit scared, um, you know, kind of question what they want to do next. And Polycap, like you said, the past few games, he actually seems assured of himself and ready to make a move and try to at least put the ball in the basket and it's been going in. I mean, this may not be something that's consistent, but still he's trying and that's what we need. We need someone to put in the effort, um, you know, and for as well as he played, I was kind of surprised, you know, he didn't have any fouls, but he only played eight minutes, um, which I still think seems light. I mean, Kerrigan only played floor. So, you know, part of that is because we were blowing them out. Um, you obviously don't want to put too many miles on your big guys, especially the ones who are fifth, sixth year seniors, whatever those three are now. Um, but I would have liked to see him get a little bit more runtime in with the guard, the, the other players later in the game, because, you know, maybe you can dump off some balls to him in the post and, you know, just get him more in a rhythm. Even if he misses a couple, just see what he's been practicing in game time and give him some more confidence to do that in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm sure Hugs was just, like you said, not, you know, trying to save their bodies early in the season and not trying to um, overplay him too much. But yeah, for eight minutes, scoring seven points, five rebounds, you know, um, I love the way he's been playing lately. And I, I hope we see more of that down the road. Also, um, he has some familiarity with UConn because he played for DePaul last year. So we'll see if maybe that's a factor since he's familiar with the Huskies. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another player I kind of wanted to talk about, too, um, didn't really get to see much of him, but he did play, and that's James Aconquu. Um, He was one for two, had a couple rebounds. He did dunk the ball. Um, he was a player early in the season that it sounded like he was going to redshirt, but um, as he practiced more, Huggins kind of was on the fence on whether he was actually going to redshirt him. Then he injured his foot, um, but I guess he was healthy enough to play five minutes this last game. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he becomes a bigger um has a bigger role going down the stretch because he is more of an offensive big, which we don't have. Um, you know, I think Polycap, Gabe and Kerrigan are all pretty similar in what they can do. Um, I think Gabe's a little bit more athletic than those other two. So he can do a little bit more, but Polycap and Kerrigan are almost carbon copies, copies of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we ever do need that offensive spark from a big, um, it'd be interesting to see if hugs would turn to him, especially with, non-conference play winding down um this would be the time to get him more minutes and get him ready before the big 12 plays i think if he doesn't play, you know many more games before big 12 play he, he will redshirt because you can't just throw him in there against the big 12 and expect him to 
have a good freshman season. Yeah, um, I, I heard, I think it was about him. Someone asked Huggins about redshirting somebody, and he, he basically did not sound like he was for redshirting um, many people. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out to all five guys who typically don't get a lot of playing time. We had Seth Wilson, um, Sinny Najai, or Najay, I think is how you Ndaye, say it. I think. Jaye, okay. Man, some of these names, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to butcher them. Um, yeah, Oconco, Thweet, and uh, King all got some playing time, which is great to see. Of course, Seth Wilson was getting by far the most. He had 17 minutes, of course, stepping up for the injured Sean McNeil. But um, yeah, I, I like the way they played. It wasn't like any of them really tore up. Wilson, um, he didn't shoot very well. He only went two for eight. But I like the fact that he wasn't scared to shoot the ball. We were just kind of talking about that. Sometimes that's the biggest challenge for these young guys. You can't be scared to shoot when you get opportunities. So I think he'll improve, and I'm glad he got a chance to get a lot of game experience. Yeah, I mean, um, before I jump to this next player um, to talk about Seth Wilson, um, I like Seth Wilson. I think the one thing that really fascinates me about him is how big he is as a true freshman, I mean, not tall wise, I think he's only six, one, six, two, but he is built like a running back or a linebacker. Or, um, I like to say Marcus smart. I mean, he is thick. Um, he, he's a big boy. And I, I think that's someone who su- could succeed in Huggins system because you think of how physical Marcus smart was, um, whenever he was in Oklahoma state and was just that lockdown perimeter guard. And as he, his offensive game developed, um, he became a lottery pick. Um, and, he seems like the perfect type of Huggins player, a hard nosed guy who can, you know, play only at the play at the top and in the paint because he can bang with some of the bigger bodies. And, um, you know, seeing how that even projects to like the NBA, you see guys like, you know, Marcus smart and Kyle Lowry, um, able to guard some smaller big guys because of how stocky they are. Um, and I'm sure Huggins could go crazy with that, um, as Seth Wilson develops. So be interesting to watch him. And then obviously Kobe Johnson got to see, um, starting um, for the first time in his career with Sean McNeil out. Um, Only saw 20 minutes, shot the ball three times, um, only two points. But early in the game, he did put up two shots early. And that was encouraging to me because he didn't play scared. Um, And he did have a a steal. So um, I thought he looked good defensively with those long arms. And I think still think that over the next couple of years, he definitely has the highest potential of anyone on the team with his combination of size, athleticism, length shooting ability which is silky smooth already um yeah super high on him yeah i'm with you i mean he's got a beautiful shot and he never looks scared i mean you just mentioned it all all season i thought you know he looks like uh, a junior or a senior when he's out there he it doesn't feel like the moment's too big for him so i definitely think uh he'll be very special um maybe not this year but in the years to come which is good to see i'm glad he's getting so much experience with all these other good players while um before he has the chance of really taking over the lead role but uh we kind of hinted to it a few times let's talk about sean mcneil's back injury a little bit he missed the radford game and as of now we're not sure if he's if he's playing or not uh against uconn have you heard anything no i haven't heard anything yet um Obviously, it'd be nice to have him back because uh, whenever we get into UConn, um, they, they, are in a hot, they are a hot shooting team. So, yeah, For we need sure. someone to neutralize them. 
Yeah, that could be a big loss for the Mountaineers because, um, yeah, like you said, they're going to need plenty of points against a quality opponent like UConn. But honestly, if his back isn't feeling great, I think I'd rather see Sean just sit this one out because, one, I don't want him to have a lingering back injury all season, so I want him to heal up if it is still bothering him. And, two, his game is a deep three-point shot, so it's hard to put up quality deep balls when your back is just shot out there. So if he's not feeling good, I I hope they just rest him. You know, it's not a conference game. Obviously, it's UConn. It's an old rivalry, and we want to win, but um, I'd rather have him rest up. And, you know, we just talked about it. Kobe Johnson or someone else can step in and give you quality minutes. Yeah, I agree because, like you said, he is, as a jumpsuit shooter, you know, you need to use your back and your core muscles quite a bit. And um, the risk of re-injury and having him be out for a significant amount of time in Big 12 play would hurt us even more. Obviously, getting a big win against UConn, um, potentially getting ranked with a win would be huge. But I'd rather be ranked in March than in December. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, the only thing I've left for Radford is Darius Nichols. So do you have anything else before we jump into him? No, let's jump into Darius. All right. So, yeah, let's talk about Darius Nichols a little bit. If you guys, um, you know, if you're not too young, you remember him from his playing days. I know I sure do. And it's cool to see a former Mountaineer come into the Coliseum and and coach against WVU. Uh, I hope he's successful. I wish him all the best. I know, you know, that that team was greatly outmatched. But, you know, when you're at a lower college coming into the Coliseum, you know, that's typically what you see. I don't think that's a reflection on his coaching ability. Or anything like that. And um, during his press conference, Darius said he went into WVU's locker room and talked to the players before hugs got there, which I thought was cool. He said, if you listen to the tone rather than the message, then you have no chance with Coach Huggins. So I thought that was a good message. And uh, I just thought it was cool. He he took the time and go to go talk to our players and give them some signs of encouragement. Yeah, it, it, that's really awesome, especially because... Nichols was one of those uh, transition players who started out with Beeline and ended with Huggins, um, you know, to see how highly he still thinks of Huggins. And it makes sense for him to come to Morgantown to play this game because it's a great experience for his players. It gets them um, matched up against big time college players, someone who's physical, plays a different style, gets them ready to compete, gets them playing in front of a, you know, somewhat loud crowd. I'm sure the Coliseum wasn't packed, but it's probably, you know, not too much um, population-wise less than what they're going to see in their conference play. So, um, you know, it was great. it's a great experience for his kids, and it obviously is a great experience for him as a young coach, young head coach, um, to see what he can do and what he needs to work on. So I'm, I'm really excited for uh, Darius. I think he's going to be great. Um, and, you know, if everything goes well, maybe he could be a head coach at WVU one day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, I was lucky enough to go to the game. I got to see guys like uh, Kevin Pitsnoggle and Truck Bryant down by the visiting bench. And it was just cool to see old players back in the Coliseum. I was kind of nerding out a little bit because those guys played when I was in high school and then college. And those are just great memories for me. So I was happy to see, um, you know, all kinds of older players back in Morgantown. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's awesome to see some of these older players come back just because, you know, one of their old teammates is playing. So um, it's great to see that there's still those connections around. Um, I know it doesn't really matter in a basketball sense, but in the, you know, Mountaineer Nation family sort of sense, it's just cool to see. 
It is too. Yeah. And it's cool to see them all coaching now. Like Jeff uh, Missoula also is a name you hear a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's great to see. You ready to jump into the Yukon Huskies? Let's do it. All right. West Virginia takes on the Yukon Huskies Wednesday in Morgantown. The Mountaineers are two-point favorites, but uh, this is a tough Connecticut team. I only got to see them play a couple times this year, but each time I, I, I walked away pretty impressed with them. Uh, but the big news about this game is the Yukon Huskies will be without two starters. We have... Adama Sinogo, I believe is how you say it, and Tyrese Martin, two starters in their second and third leading scores out. Um, Sinogo was averaging 15.6 rebounds per game, while Martin was averaging nearly 13 points and seven rebounds per game. So these are huge losses for UConn. Um, their front court is pretty deep, though, so they do have bodies to, to put out there, whether they can fill that role is the question. So how do you think these injuries will impact the game? Um, so I think in my opinion, Snogo, um, it is going to hurt them a little bit. Um, but I think offensively they might be able to manage it. defensively. I think they will be more than fine because it seemed like their backup's going to be Isaiah Whaley, who actually has more blocks than Snogo right now. Um, Snogo has 14 Whaley has 18. <coughs> um, and, you know, if you look offensively, their games are different. Um, Sonogo is more of a post player, a guy who can, you know, get the ball on the block, make some moves. Um, he also has a mid-range game where um, Whaley really isn't. Um, he's not as good as an interior scorer. Almost all of his shots are assisted on, um, but he shoots threes. He, so he's more of an outside shooter. Um, I'm not sure if he's a good comp would be. Cottrell obviously he's probably a better shot blocker and rebounder than Cottrell is right now but you know it's interesting it's always interesting to see a big man who can block shots like that and shoot three so I think Whaley's going to be a really interesting team to to, a guy to watch because we know that West Virginia can kind of struggle with guarding the three sometimes and you know they put so much emphasis on the paint that maybe some uh, you know someone like Sonogo wouldn't really have a good game because how much attention Huggins puts on guarding the paint. Um, but maybe someone like Whaley could sit out in the corner and really thrive in this game. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, UConn's a very tough team because they're, they're shooting almost 38% from three. So you definitely don't want to just stick around in the paint and give them open threes. However, they they're 14 offensive rebounds per game as well. So at the same time, it's like, you, you don't want to leave the paint open either. So, I mean, they're, they're just a tough team. They're, they're averaging almost 86 points per game. Obviously, the double overtime game versus Auburn probably inflated that a bit. And I think they even had another overtime game versus uh, VCU or someone else. So, obviously, that, you know, that inflates it a little bit. But this is certainly a team that can lay up the scoreboard. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like you said, they do like to shoot the three quite a bit. Um, you know, RJ Cole is kind of their go-to guy and he will be playing. He is their leading scorer, 16.3 points per game, 4.4 assists. Um, he's shooting 37% from three. And the interesting thing about that is, is that 45% of his shots come from three. So he is someone who's going to pull up and shoot on you. And if you give him a, you know, inch of space, he's going to, he's going to put it up. So, you know, you got to make sure you're getting those rebounds, especially like Tyler said, you know, they, they have, they're the third highest offensive rebound rate in the country right now. Um, and he's, 
you know, you can't just foul him either. He shoots 91% from the line. So definitely someone who is really good. Um, and I was looking at some advanced metrics right now, and a few of them actually had him as one of the top 50 players in college basketball right now, um, which is interesting, um, especially since, you know, if Keddy gets in foul trouble, um, I'm not sure if Curry is a good enough defender. I think Curry's a solid defender, but I'm not sure if he's a good enough def- defender to maybe keep Cole um, in check. Um, obviously, we need to keep Keddy out of foul trouble so he can help lock him down a little. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That is going to be an interesting matchup. Um, I, I looked at their opponents so far this year, and this is one of the games I, I watched. UConn beat Auburn in a fantastic double overtime game. If, if anyone got to see that, that was a very fun game to watch. Uh, their only loss is to Michigan State by four points. Other than that, their competition has been pretty light. But you can make the same argument for the Mountaineers. So West Virginia has lost to a good Marquette team, but they haven't beaten any quality opponents this season because Clemson is only 5-4. and four. You could argue that Oakland was WVU's best win so far this year. So this will be a good team, or yeah, this will be a good opponent for both teams. It's it's really a, a great matchup for both of us, and I can't wait to see how we stack up against a quality opponent and an old rival. If you guys are old enough to remember the Big East days, yeah. And going back to that Michigan State game, kind of it seems like the key to beating this UConn team is to limit them from three. So in that game, they only shot two of sixteen for three. That's the only game of the season where they have less than seven makes from three-point range. Um, so if you can guard the perimeter, which, like we said, we've seen WVU struggle with that a lot, you, you can keep it close and, you know, try to win it. I mean, obviously, they're still going to get some offensive rebounds. In that game, they rebounded 33% of their um, misses. Um, so obviously, they're still getting second chances. But that three-point shot, I mean, that's 50% more than a standard basket. So you cannot let someone who takes as many threes as UConn does, get them to fall. You have to make it tough. And even if it does, you know, mean allowing some easy layups or some, you know, little floaters in the paint, sometimes it's better to do that than to let someone just, who who likes taking threes, take as many threes as they want in a game. Because, you know, you got to think of the the culture that these kids grow up in with watching Steph Curry. All these kids grew up watching him and they wanted to shoot like him. And now these kids are in college. So, they want to shoot that shot any chance they get. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Coach Hugs does with the pressure. I mean, obviously, that's when our offense is clicking the best is when we're we're having that full court pressure and getting steals. However, I mean, that's why we give up so many open threes this year. So it'll be interesting to see if um, if if it's not working, if it is giving up a lot of threes, if he backs off or not. Um, for sure. One thing that I thought was interesting too, as part of a, maybe a key to the to winning the matchup, is that um, UConn kind of likes to score early in the shot clock. Um, that's where Cole and Martin, before he got hurt, were at their best. But whenever there were ten after ten seconds of the last laps in the so- shot clock, Sonogo was actually kind of their go to guy in those set pieces. He was shooting twenty percent of the team's shots, and he was shooting over fifty five percent from the field. And with him out, um, it might make it interesting to see how much that screws up UConn's offense. Are they going to try to become too ISO heavy with with guys like Cole, or what's going to happen there? Yeah, that's a good call. Um, 
I wanted to give their coach a little shout out. UConn's head coach is Dan Hurley. So you might know that last name. That's Bobby Hurley's younger brother. And this guy has a track record of turning programs around. He went to Wagner, had a great record in just his second year there, left, went to Rhode Island, had that team turned around by his third year there. And after taking Rhode Island to the NCAA tournament twice, he left and now he's at Connecticut. Now, old Mountaineer fans might remember Connecticut being a powerhouse in the old Big East, but this program was a train wreck when Dan Hurley arrived in 2018. So um, in just his second season, he led UConn to 19 wins. And then last year, he took them to the NCAA tournament. So this is a well-coached team. And it should be a great test for us. But I just wanted to give Dan Hurley some props because once I started digging into how he's been this past decade, I mean, he's one of the better coaches in NCAA basketball, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how he's doing compared to his brother down in Arizona State because it seemed like everyone was super high on Bobby, especially that year when we played him in the tournament. I think he was coaching Buffalo and everyone was choosing them for the upset over us. I forget. Um, I think we won that game, but it's, it's been a while. But, you know, um, Bobby Hurley was obviously famous for his Duke days. Um, and everyone, you know, you either love or hate Duke. I personally hate them. But, uh, you know, it, it's cool to see one of the more unheralded um, members of the family come in and kind of take the world by storm. I mean, UConn isn't an easy job. Um, Jim Calhoun took a long time building that up. And then Kevin Ollie <coughs> had that nice run with Kemba Walker. Um, a few years ago before he got fired. Um, but, you know, to build it back up to the base to where Calhoun left off is going to be is a challenge because you got to get those kids back in there and we got to start winning again. Um, they're in the Big East now. So, you know, they get to play teams like Villanova and um, Xavier. So that's a draw. But, you know, just interesting to see how his career path's going. And, um, yeah, it's always fun to watch whenever another good coach comes into the building um, to see how Huggins handles it. It is, yeah, because I think Huggs, you know, he ups his game just like a player would against a good opponent. And uh, if you remember when Ollie was fired, they were, I believe, you know, had a bunch of, you know, sanctions put against them for recruiting violations. So like I said, Hurley walked into an absolute train wreck and he's already got that program back on track. So just props to him. I mean, you don't want to compare, you know, siblings, but I mean, I would say obviously Bobby was a great player, but the better coach, you know, I'd be taking the younger brother, Dan. He He's just an excellent coach, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Arizona is a train wreck, too. I don't know if you've paid attention in the past couple of years, but uh, not a very good team. And they had one of the top recruiting classes, I think, last year, too. And yeah, it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked them up. They're like two and six, two and eight. It, it's not going well. I'm going to guess he's, if this keeps up, he's not going to last too long down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I got on UConn. You got anything else? Yeah, the only other guy I wanted to talk about was Tyler Pauly. Um, Just because I thought he was, his stats were kind of interesting. I think he's fourth in scoring, um, but he is a true stretch big. He's six foot nine, but he does not, shoot inside um he is second on the team in three-point attempts he only shoots about 33 percent but take a guess on what percent of his shot attempts are from three and he's a center you said he's a forward a forward uh <laughs> 45 
70% of his shots are from. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine him sitting in the corner whenever um, Cole's driving and, you know, he has that nice tall six foot nine target sitting wide open there. Um, (laughs) We've seen it so many times this season. I'm preparing myself inside for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Honestly, I was a little shocked that WVU were favorites in this game. Not that I think they can't win. And obviously, them being home is what gave them the edge. If this was a road game, it would be flipped. But um, like I said, just the games that I've seen from UConn, they look like a really tough team to beat. So, uh, But Vegas obviously knows more than I do. So, Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping. I don't know if that means a win. Yeah, so that gives me hope. Um, so <laughs> next, we wanted to talk about some football. And first up, we wanted to talk about Isaiah Esdale entering the transfer portal. He had one year of eligibility left. Um, this is most likely due to playing time, just like a lot of these guys who are entering the the transfer portal. He seemed to play a lot for the Mountaineers, I thought, this year. Um, but as we always say, the wide receiver room is loaded at West Virginia. And maybe he saw the emergence of Prather and other young guys and wanted to play somewhere that will guarantee him a lot of snaps for his final year in college. I don't blame him, uh, but he was a good wide receiver with good hands, so he'll be missed. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm a little disappointed he's leaving for my own selfish reasons, but I wish him all the best wherever he ends up. I hope he goes somewhere who will use him a lot because he is talented without a doubt. Yeah, I really liked Esdale. I thought that, you know, he was one of our top two or three receivers this year. Um, Great hands, um, underrated athlete, I think. Um, he got hung out to dry quite a bit by Daggy running those crossing patterns, but he always caught the ball. Um, you know, I think that's how he ended up breaking his ribs and was out for a couple of those games. But obviously that rotation there at the Z receivers tough with Prather, Ryan, and then him. So definitely going somewhere where you're going to get 90% of the snaps um, and having a chance of proving yourself to end up, you know, in NFL or CFL next year would be a better move for him. So I'm going to miss him, but I completely understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Um, so we, we now know that West Virginia will play in the guaranteed rate bowl in Arizona, Phoenix. Their opponent is Minnesota, which is exciting. I think because that's a quality opponent. And, uh, you know, I think that's what bowl games are for. You, you play someone who's very good and you see how you match up. They play tough defense and they're good at running the football. So it won't be an easy game by any means. Uh, we'll cover this game in more detail at a later podcast, closer to the bowl game. But uh, what, what were your initial thoughts when you heard we're playing Minnesota? Um, I, I'm excited because they're, they're a quality team. I mean, they've, they've played a solid schedule, obviously, being in the Big Ten. They have a nice win over Wisconsin. Um, and then, obviously, our old offensive analyst, Kirk, see a rock <laughs> I can't pronounce it um uh is going to be there I don't know if he's going to be coaching the game or not but you know I think them being um eight and four being a big 10 team playing a close game against Iowa Ohio State um it's a good barometer for us to see what we're capable of I mean we have a few weeks to prepare what's Neil Brown going to come out with to you know, make this game close. Yeah. Um, so I read that he won't be present on the sidelines during the game, 
But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like he's not sitting there talking to the coordinators, talking to Fleck and giving them, you know, whatever he can. And who can blame him? These coaches do whatever they can to get a little edge against your opponent. I did think it was a nice gesture that um, Brown and Fleck talked and they agreed to, you know, not have him out there because that wouldn't be kosher. But, you know, like I said, I'm not an idiot. I don't think he's he's not going to share whatever he can to give his team the edge. Definitely. And Minnesota does have a really solid defense. I mean, like we said, we're going to go into more depth um, later, but, you know, a very run-heavy team, defensive-oriented. So um, hopefully it's not something where we end up just getting blown out because our defense is solid, assuming too many players don't sit out. And obviously Minnesota, much more of a defense-based team. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point, too. That's another reason we wanted to wait closer to the game because, it, you know, depending on who plays and who doesn't play will will be a big factor for sure. But the one thing I really wanted to talk about for the bowl game on this podcast was some of the bad things about the bowl game for West Virginia fans. One, uh, you know, the start time. Two, the travel expense for West Virginia fans. The start time is at 10.15 East Coast time, 10.15 p.m., by the way, and it's on a Tuesday, December 28th. Not ideal for people who have to work. Also, I looked up prices for airfare to get there. It's over a grand just for the airfare. The tickets for the game aren't bad. But if you live on, uh, you know, anywhere by the East Coast, it's pretty pricey. So luckily, West Virginia fans are all over the nation. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, we'll be showing up and represented just like we do anywhere we go, which is awesome. Too proud to be a West Virginia fan. But man, that's a tough expense for us over here in West Virginia. Um, but I'm not going to complain too much. I'm happy we're in a bowl game. I just wish it was closer. Oh, for sure. I mean... You gotta think that game's not gonna be over till what one or two in the morning. Um, yeah, with three and a half hours, um, that's rough. I mean, you know, I'm lucky enough to be off that week. Um, I know you are too, so it won't matter too much for me. But you know, for people who have to work, who have a regular nine to five, um, and don't get to take those that time off, it's it's tough. Um, obviously, it's nice to have exposure, I guess, on the you know in the mountain time zone in the West Coast, but. We never really recruit out there, really. I mean, we have Nico. Um, maybe he'll come to the game. That'll be fun. But uh, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just strange that, um, I mean, I guess it's not that strange that I guess the Big 12 has a bowl tie-in over there. Um, but still, that seems more like Pac-12 country. So having a Big 12 and a Big 10 team over there and playing at 1030 at night just seems a little odd. Um you know, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Obviously, probably the only game on TV, so we'll get eyes. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe someone will watch it, um, some young kid, and they'll become a fan of WVU, and they'll um, be good enough to play for the Mountaineers one day. But um, we'll see. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago we played in the Cactus Bowl out there back in the Skylar Howard days. And that was a fun game to watch, but I remember it being, I think, pretty much the same time. Um, but yeah, you would think for TV ratings and for, you know, people buying tickets that they wouldn't put us all the way out there. But like I said, I'm not going to complain too much, so... I will stop complaining. So <laughs> let's talk about the college football playoffs. The Alabama Crimson Tide opened, or at least are currently, at a 
five-point favorite over Cincinnati. And Georgia opens as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Michigan. What are your thoughts on the playoff games? So I, I kind of understand why they did it the way they did. I was disappointed that we can still have a rematch between Alabama and Georgia in the national championship game. Um, I, I always hate having conference or not in uh, national title games against people from the same conference. Um, so that's going to suck if that ends up happening, but um you know, I, I think it's an interesting slate of games. I mean, Cincinnati, if they could knock off Alabama, would be a huge story. Obviously, that's not necessarily an ideal matchup, but I guess the only other alternative would be them playing Georgia. So either way, um, unless they have got moved up to like a, a third seed and then Alabama was at a four seed, they were going to play one of those two teams either way. So, um, you know, I, I'm rooting for, for Cincinnati. Um, I really want to see you know, a non-Power 5 team do something. Um, I think that's big. And I think it's cool that Michigan made it. I mean, obviously they deserved it, but they've been behind that Ohio State hump for so long now. And to see Harbaugh finally, um, after all the years of Michigan fans complaining, um, get that win and then not screw up in the Big Ten championship game and get that berth it is big. I mean, um Obviously, they have to beat Georgia, which is a tall task. I mean, Georgia is outstanding, um, and it's scary what Alabama did to, did to them in that conference title game. So the SEC is still king, but I'm holding out hope that we get, you know, a, a Cincinnati-Michigan final matchup, but I'm I'm not holding my breath. No, I mean, I think that that's obviously the matchup most people would want to see. And, of course, I'm rooting for Cincinnati in this one as well. But I think Alabama will be too much for the Bearcats, if I had to make a guess. Um, Bama's offense, I mean, they're they're just so impressive. They put up great numbers. But I hope it's a close game either way. I'm rooting for the little guy. I hope Cincinnati wins it to give the group of five some respect, too. I mean, you know, finally one of them got in there and – you know, I, I hope they they show up and play well just so that, you know, people can't point back to that and say that they don't deserve to be there. You mentioned Michigan be, being in there. I like that as well just because, you know, it, it's fresh blood. It's new people. And I'm not the biggest Michigan fan by any means, but uh, I'll take them over Ohio State any day. But uh, Georgia versus Michigan, two tough defenses. I think that'll be a fun game. Georgia blew that late lead against Bama. While Michigan looks like uh, they they might be one of the best teams in the nation after defeating Ohio State and Iowa, they look like they could be the best team out there. I honestly think Georgia might win, but honestly, I think it's a coin flip. I, I think it's going to be semi-low scoring, maybe maybe in the 20s, and that either team can uh, take it at the end. You know, yeah. if, I had, if I had to pick, gun to my head, I think it's going to be SEC versus SEC again, but... Um, you know, you never know in these upsets happen all the time. Oh, for sure. I would love to see Michigan too. And like you said, I do think it's going to end up being SEC, SEC, but Michigan's been on a roll and they've looked really, really good. Now, um, how good is Iowa? We don't know. Obviously they, they started off really good. Um, their offense has always kind of been their issue. Their defense has always been good, but Michigan had no problem putting up, get points against them. So, um, it's going to be really interesting. Um, you know, outside of the games, the, the one thing that I want to talk about, too, is um, I don't know if you saw the the um, quote from Fickle um, saying that he's been contacted by 
um, other teams to interview for their jobs and they want to interview right now. And he told them all, you know, I'm not talking to anyone until the season's over. Um, I think that's admirable. I mean, look at what um, Rich Rod did. Look at what Brian Kelly did. Look at what uh, Lincoln Riley did. I mean, those guys still had seasons to play. They had bowl games to play and important ones at that. Um, and they just, you know, those three guys, and I'm sure there's more names that I'm missing, but those are the three big ones that stick out in my head. Um, they just bolted on their teams in the middle of the night and didn't look back. Um, and it's just refreshing to see character like that from a guy like Luke Fickle. I mean, it's refreshing and, um, you know, I'm, I hope he sticks around in Cincinnati, but you know, if he does leave in the off season, he did it the right way. Yeah, I'm with you, and I'm sure you know Cincinnati fans will will always root and cheer for him, even if he does leave, just because you know he showed respect. And like you said, it's refreshing to see a coach actually show some respect for their program and for their players, especially a game like this. We talked about how important it is, even if they could just make it to the championship team. That's not just big for Cincinnati; that's big for every single school outside of those Power Five conferences. Which honestly, you know, West Virginia might be in that boat down the road once Oklahoma and Texas leave. So, um, you know, that is great to see because, you know, if a, if a program's willing to wait for him, he deserves it. Go to a big name school and get that money. But if they're not willing to wait for him, I mean, he could always just come back to Cincinnati and and who knows? He might be right back in the championship or the playoffs in, you know, another year or two. So... Good for him. I, I didn't know that coming into this podcast. So that is good to hear. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's interesting too, because I mean, I know we made the comparison before um, about, you know, how the new big 12 could end up being similar to the big East before it died and withered away. Um, but, you know, you could think of Cincinnati as someone like a, a Louisville because Louisville was, you know, a really good football team before they came in and they didn't, they didn't miss a stride coming in. And, um, you know, I, I'm just re- reminiscing against all those great games that WVU had against Louisville and we won some, we lost some, but they're always fun and exciting, and explosive. So, um, and they're closer to home. I mean, a lot of Mountaineer fans will be able to travel to go see the game in Cincinnati once they're here. Um, so I'm really hoping Fickle sticks, sticks around because I think he has a great opportunity in the big 12 and there's a huge vacancy from where Oklahoma left in that top of the hierarchy that's up for grabs by anyone. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Um, the last thing we wanted to cover today was the the Heisman race. So the 2021 Heisman finalists are Bryce Young, Alabama's quarterback, CJ CJ Strout, um, Ohio State's quarterback, Kenny Pickett, Pitt's quarterback, and Aiden Hutchinson, edge rusher from Michigan. So uh, what are your thoughts on the finalists for Heisman? You know, uh, I think it's interesting that Hutchinson made it. Um, I, obviously, he had a great game, um, but I think a lot of that is tied to what Michigan's been doing. Um, you know, obviously, 13 and a half sacks is a decent amount. But it's not really something that sticks out. I mean, you think of, um, what was it, Terrell Suggs when he had, what, 22 or 23 sacks at Arizona State, you know, decades ago. Um, you know, someone like that definitely deserves it. Sue, when he was at Nebraska, deserves it. Um, but, you know, I as much as I respect Hutchinson and think uh, how good of a player he is, um, you know, I definitely think this is more of an emotion thing. He's in the playoff and he's probably the best player on that team. So it's kind of like that, that MVP vote, vote to the guy who's the best player on the best team, um, which I don't necessarily agree with, but you know, if I had to pick, I mean, 
Um, it, it would be between Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett. Um, I think what Bryce Young's done this year, 4,300 yards, 43 touchdowns to four interceptions, that's exceptional, and he's only a sophomore. So, whew, scary, scary. <laughs> um, and then Pickett, um, obviously, because, you know, 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions, complete turnaround from his previous years where he was only throwing like, you know, I think it was like 16 touchdowns, nine interceptions pretty consistently. And to see him turn it around out of nowhere, um, no one expected this. Um, it's great to see, even if it is a pit quarterback, um, it pains me to say it a little bit, but yeah, you got kind of have to root for him a little bit because it's just a cool story. Yeah. I almost had the, the, the same thought. Um, so yeah, if you ask me, Bryce Young is probably going to win it. That's just the way it is when Bama's rolling, when they're putting up stats, you know, it always goes to their best offensive player. It seems like. Um, but although he's from Pitt, I, I think Kenny Pickett is a really good player. And it's nice to see a new school in the Heisman race for once. Unfortunately, it had to be Pitt. Yeah. But, but uh, Pickett is a good player. You know, I have nothing against him. There's even rumors he might go to the Steelers, which we are Steeler fans because we don't live all that far from Pittsburgh. But, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what he does in the draft. But um also, it's it's not like Michigan gets a lot of love in Heisman voting either. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not a big Michigan fan either. But it's nice to see a defensive player get some love in the race for once, whether, you know, it should have been him or not. I saw some people arguing the player from Alabama. He was a mm-hmm. linebacker. His name's escaping me right now. But Robinson, I think. Yeah, I think that was him. He he's put up some monster stats. They had each of their stats next to each other, and it, it was crazy how good the the Bama's uh, linebacker stats were. But I think it was ninety two tackles, fifteen and a half sacks. I forget how many tackles for a loss, but I think it was a sizable number too, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so crazy. Um, I'm surprised he didn't get the vote. But like you said, you know, it might have been an emotional thing because. You know, Michigan's rolling right now, but I'm surprised like people like Walker from Michigan State didn't get any love. You know, he's having a huge year. Of course, you know, NCAA always leans quarterback. So I'm glad at least one position wasn't a quarterback in this. But I, here's my opinion. I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I think one defensive player should get invited every year regardless. It, it doesn't hurt to invite these kids even if, you know, they have no chance, which honestly, who's picking Hutchinson to win it this year? I don't really think he has a great chance of winning it. Um, but I think that should be a rule. Pick as many offensive players as you want, but give one defensive player um, a spot to be represented just to show love on both sides of the football. Yeah, I don't think that would be a bad idea. Um You know, I, I could definitely see that because, I mean, every year there's at least someone out there who – you know, as the top defensive player in football should definitely be in the conversation, even if it is as a seventh or eighth guy. So, I mean, does it really hurt if you bring in a fifth guy or even the fourth guy? I mean, everyone knows that Stroud and Hutchinson aren't going to win, but getting them there, getting their face out there is cool. I mean, it's good for them. Um, So yeah, I could definitely get on board with that. Yeah, and I don't I don't understand why either. I guess they only take guys that they really think have a shot, but you know, why don't they just invite five guys every year just to get their face out there and get some love, you know? Like I said, it doesn't really hurt to just fly them out there 
and uh, give them some recognition. I don't understand why they only have, you know, three, four guys every year. It seems like they're real picky about who they invite. Yeah. It, I don't know if it's four every year either, but it seems like it fluctuates some years too, doesn't it? I agree. Yeah. I, I, I might be wrong, but I feel like some years it's only three kids out there. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I should have read up on it more, but I don't know the criteria <laughs> as to who they decide who they invite or not. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think the Heisman's a cool award. Obviously, it has a great legacy behind it. But, you know, uh, like we said, it, it seems like there's a certain type of player from a certain type of team that always wins it. Um, occasionally, you get someone cool who, who wins it. Obviously, last year with Devonta Smith, that was kind of out of left field. Obviously, he does play for did play for Alabama, so he had what he checked one of the boxes. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. most of the time it's a uh, quarterback from Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma. You know, you know the list. You can name them off verbatim. Um, so you know, anything to kind of liven it up because it is a special award and it is something that everyone knows and recognizes, and it carries weight. Um, so figuring out a way to make it more exciting because I can't remember the last time I've watched the Heisman ceremony. I know when it's on, I check my phone after it's done. And then that's all I care about. I don't watch it. I don't care to, and I don't even think about it. I'm just like, Oh, cool. Um, you know, Bryce Young won the Heisman. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you. I do the same exact thing when I was younger, you know, maybe like 15 years ago, I, I actually did use the, the, I used to watch it every year, but, uh, yeah, I think inviting one defensive player at least every year and maybe, you know, another spot for a non-quarterback position anywhere else on the field, whether it's offense or defense. I think that would liven it up. And then if you want to give the last three spots to quarterbacks, which more than likely they would, I think that would be better because at least you're recognizing, you know, positions all over the field. Because like you said, I feel like it's just – three or four big name schools and all their quarterbacks every year. That's why no one watches it. It's yeah. just same old, same old. I'm yeah. kind of disappointed that, you know, running backs don't get it in anymore, especially with the way that, you know, college football and NFL are kind of innovating the way that they're using running backs. I'm surprised we haven't seen someone out there who, I mean, obviously McCaffrey, what was great um, and Henry, but um, you know, someone who's out there kind of doing things completely differently, catching the ball a lot, running the ball a lot and getting more recognition that way. Um, And I was with you too, where I thought Walker should have um, gotten an invite because one, you know, the season he had this year was insane. And two, it's a pretty cool story. I mean, last year he was on Wake Forest and Wake Forest is having a great season this year. And he goes to Michigan state and has a great season there. So, I mean, um, kind of strange how things worked out. A lot of the times when you have an offensive player like Walker, leave your program. I don't know how he did at Wake Forest, but, uh, you know, having someone of that obviously talent level leave and carry another team's offense to um, the heights that Michigan state was at. And your offense is still one of the top offenses in the game. I mean, Wake Forest stats are just out of this world. Um, I didn't even know they were good until this season. And I saw they were like undefeated nine games into the season. Yeah. They went to the ACC championship, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they had a great year. Um, Yeah, so that's all I got. You ready to wrap this up? Yeah, let's do it. 
So yeah, as always, guys, thank you for listening. Um, thank you to the loyal listeners who always tune in. And if you're a first-time listener, I, I hope you join us again next time we drop a podcast. So um, please follow us on any social media platform you have. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for The Voice of Motown podcast. It's a separate page from The Voice of Motown. Please follow both the of our pages, though, ours and Brad's. Um, please follow us on wherever you like getting your podcast, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. We're pretty much on all of them. And as always, thank you for listening. Definitely. And uh, feel free to drop us a message, tag us and things. Um, we're happy to to chat or, you know, even react to anything that you send us. So um, we like the engagement. Um, we're going to be posting a little bit more on YouTube more. It's just going to be stuff from the pod, but a little different perspective too. So if you want to check that out, um, no harm, no foul. Yeah, 100%. And check out Brandon's articles. He's been writing um, one or two, it seems like, every week for The Voice of Motown. He just wrote a fantastic article about all the players who just transferred, giving you updates on them. So please support him there as well. So for The Voice of Motown podcast, see you later, guys. Thanks, everyone.